0: Our opening text this morning is in John chapter 14, the Gospel of John chapter 14. And Jesus says here, "'Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house there are many rooms. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also.'" and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus calls us to believe in him. Life as he suggests here, as he implies here, it can be full of trouble and the affairs and the adversities of life can consume us. I think we've all lived long enough to know there are seasons where that happens. And sometimes when we're in the scrum of life, we long to find a release, we, we long to find refuge, and if you're honest like me, you long to find relief. And Jesus' response to that is, he says simply to believe in Him. But for those who believe, Jesus has prepared a place in heaven as He's talking to us through this passage. So you look again at verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? So Jesus shifts our attention from the temporal to the eternal because He knows that we are—we haven't seen heaven, most of us. And this life, we think, is the only life there is, and often full of trouble. But that's not the case. And he says here he's prepared many rooms. Other translations say mansions, all right? And while he prepares a place for many, think about this. He prepares a place for us personally. Having raised three girls, looking back, two of the girls always had to share a room. The oldest daughter who married Pastor Billy always had her own room. Which daughter had a better grip of Scripture? The one who had her own room. She had her own place. The other two had to share a place. Everybody look at me at home and here. When you get to heaven, you ain't sharing no room. You have your own place You'll have your own house. Don Piper, author of 90 Minutes in Heaven, the New York Times bestseller, and which turned into a movie, an actual movie, after he got into a horrific car accident, he was dead for 90 minutes, during which time the Lord took him to heaven. He's spoken for us on two occasions. I've had private talks with him and his wife, who he says is the real hero. And he says, you know, Norman, not only do your loved ones who believed in Jesus greet you at the gates, and they are made out of pearl. The streets are made out of gold. But lining the streets are communities and subdivisions and areas in heaven where there are mansions. So he says, when Jesus says in John 14, mansions, he's really referring to mansions. Places, not just rooms, homes. And I like to say this all the time. I live in Waipio now, but in heaven, I'll be in Waialae. I'm going to upgrade, baby. I'm going to go from the west side, no offense, west side to the east side. <laughs> just joking, right? Kalihi to Kahala. Yeah. Well, he says they're really... Mansions. There are really subdivisions. And I sat there fascinated. I said, Don, really? Like a little kid, right? And you know what I get from talking to him, a guy who's really been there, is that this life will yield to eternal life one day. That the earthly life will yield to the heavenly life. But getting there has one precondition that we believe in Jesus. And that word believe means a total surrender. Not a mental assent of a Christmas cultural sentimentality, but a true submission to Jesus as Lord. Because he came to be born, he came to die and become the sacrifice for our sins, such that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Powerful. Um, The reality of home in heaven tomorrow brings hope for today, and whatever you're going through, guess what? It's not going to be forever. This life is not forever. Chief Michael Nakamura was a member of our church for many years. One of the greatest honors of my life is for him to call me his pastor. This from the chief who, under his speeding radar gun, had his officers tag me for speeding three times in one month. With no reprieve or no break. Eight weeks of a drunken driving course. And $150 in tickets. I've never been caught speeding again. Why did I share that with you? No reason. Just letting you know that when you uphold the law, you uphold the law. Illegal fireworks withstanding. Because the bombs are bursting in air. My dog's freaking out again. Even Billy and YPO. Lord God. And I I hope those were not police officers on my street. Anyway, I'll move on from there. Chief Nakamura was the model of integrity and consistency. But he knew one day, unless the Lord healed him on earth, he would have to surrender his life to go to heaven. A congenital muscular dysfunction, the cousin of Lou Gehrig's disease, one day would catch up with him. So he prepared for eternity by believing in Jesus, surrendering to the Lord, and serving him the best that he could. Then when he could no longer breathe on his own because his muscles were not functioning, he had prepared an advanced health care directive and made all the legal preparations for machines not to keep him alive, but instead to go on his own terms. He says, if the Lord doesn't keep me alive on earth, I want to go home to be in heaven. As we got closer to that time, he repeated that phrase because he was very familiar with the reality of heaven itself. I was with Chief and his family at the moments, in the final moments where they unplugged him. And we prayed together, we laughed together, we sang together, and he even joked together. And as I watched him gently Uh, transition into eternity, I told myself, that's exactly how I want to go, Lord, if you would allow it. Where the scripture says, "Blessed, blessed in the sight of the Lord is the passing of his saints. I saw that. I felt that. I experienced the presence of heaven in the hospital room that was on earth. And it was a stark reminder to me as a pastor that this life will yield to the next life. That eternal life is where the real destination is. It's where life continues. It's the life that God meant for us to live before the Adam, before Adam fell in the garden. Eternity will unfold a life that makes this life pale in existence. Don Piper said as much. He said, I got depressed. My wife had to live with a very, very angry man for two years as they patched my body up through surgery, because once I tasted of eternal life. I did not want to come back to my earthly life. And I was mad at God for two years, but I wasted two years of my life. His counsel to us is make the most of the life you have today because it will determine how you live tomorrow. This life is not the only life there is. And so we follow this text as it unfolds. Being in heaven means also being with Him. Look at verse 3. I will take you to myself, Jesus is saying, I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So beyond our eternal home and our heavenly house is the eternal presence. It's the presence of God that matters. How about you? I've gone into a lot of nice homes here and in different parts of the world over my long life. And as nice as homes are, the best part about entering homes is to meet the host is to meet the person who lives there with their love and their warmth. They welcome you and they feed you. They feed you and they feed you. I need to eat more to be the expansion pastor. So Jesus is saying, being with me. Don Piper will tell you. You can't see his face, not yet anyway, but it's being with him. It's being in his presence that cancels everything else, everything else. We were in a small group, and in my small group that I'm now passing off, uh, there will be a transition in leadership. There's two men with stage four prostate cancer. Both of them have been given scary prognosis, except here's what happens in the meanwhile. The presence of God has touched them, and so they live normal, robust lives the PSA counts, which I won't get into, and the markers medically have dropped dramatically. And for all intents and purposes, beyond a doctor's understanding, they are living normally. But they're living with high dependence on the power of the Holy Spirit. One of them, a St. Louis graduate. This is to balance out Iolani's dramatic victory yesterday. <laughs> a St. Louis graduate. Uh, we were praying. He insists... He insists that we hold hands at this big city diner restaurant patio that we meet in. And he's a strong dude with big hands. And it's always I end up next to him. And he squeezes my hands. But, you know, you have to appear strong. And I think, oh, no, here he goes. And he gets excited. And one time we were praying for healing, for the power of the Holy Spirit to enter our group and to bring healing. And we said, amen. And he went, wow. You guys felt that? What was that? And of course, me being Japanese, we don't feel much. I said, said, Hank, no, I didn't feel a thing, but it's normally that way. He said, man. Essentially, another group member spoke up, and he said, that was the presence of God. And ever since then, He insists that we hold hands in public. And then we went from holding hands one day, because he kept feeling the presence of God when we would pray. He said, let's lift our hands. So he took our hands. He went. So we were in the big city diner, (laughs) patio, men with hands raised. I thought to myself, why am I feeling awkward? I am the pastor here, and these are guys all in process. Well, the other guy, his name is Frank Fossey, Jr. I'll show you a picture of him. This is, this is Christmas. We'll show you his family, and um, we'll pull that up here. Anyway, Frank, it's coming. Don't worry. Uh, yes, he is the son of the legendary mayor. He has stage four cancer. He's testified here in person, as you remember. And it's mestastatized into his bones, and he's supposed to be terminal. In fact, he's supposed to be terminated already. Two Christmases ago, exactly on Christmas Day, in another small group where his other brother David is in, um, we were praying for him because he had just about bled out. So there was an APB saying he probably wasn't going to make it, but we need a miracle. So we prayed, and then we got the report a week later that he was fine, that indeed it was a miracle. They found him on the bathroom floor in the hospital. And then he told the small group after he got out, he said, I saw Jesus. And apparently what happened, was during the time when he began to come back, he saw the gates open. He came to the threshold. The Lord let him see the lights, the colors, the visage of Jesus. And you know, you, you want to go there. You want to step from this life into the next life. Because you know what it's like when you suffer. But the Lord said, not yet, just like Don Piper. I don't know about you, but when you get that close, you want to go. You want Jesus to say, come. Jesus was going, go back. And you have this point of, you got to hear Frank tell it. It's It's a tension, but God let him see the peak. He got a peak into the gift of eternal life. It's real. But it's the presence. These guys will tell you it's the presence of heaven, the presence of God beyond the house and the mansion. And we get there by believing in him. Neil and Mayoro, St. Louis family, is with us this morning. Quite a story. And because Neil will take a while to get up here, this former Studley athlete, multi-sport athlete, bodybuilder, and powerlifter has gone through... Some suffering. But he's also gone through the suffering of other people. Wanna welcome Neil and May Yoro. If you're in law enforcement or government work or you're in the sports world, you know very well who they are. And by the way, beside every strong man is a stronger woman. You scored points just now. Okay. Um, see that most guys won't be able to do that if you find out what's happened to his back and his legs but that's for later neil and May, thank you very much great meeting the family after the first service and uh we're going to begin let me take out my my pepa over here i'll put this down over here and uh okay let's get this straight you've been married how long
1: We've been married for 43 years, going on 44.
0: I meant happily married. No, no, i just joking. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. One boy, three girls, rules of grandchildren. Some of them were here in this last uh, service, but we got some pictures uh, of them. We got a couple of them, actually. And then uh, one boy, three girls. So the one boy will be with us in the next service because he's Jacob, Yoro, the defensive coordinator for the University of Hawaii, and they're recruiting to the Brotherhood right now. Look at that. That's a beautiful family. And you know, when you get the you get the blood with the Filipino blood, uh, it's just it's just just uh, and that's football, obviously, because Jacob's a coach there. Wonderful, you're an athlete. Now um You're both from Waipahu? Yes. See, but you don't look like you come from Waipahu. <laughs> so tell us how you got to Waipahu and what 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 blend do you have?
2: My mother
0: is from Japan. Okay, is that on now? Okay. Just okay.
2: My mother is there from Japan go. and my dad is from California. He was in the military, met my mom in Japan and so I'm a military brat. My dad served for 20 years and then... In 1968, we moved to, tells you how old I am. I'm in my 60s. Um, in 1968, <laughs> yeah. we came to, my dad got stationed here in Hawaii, and they bought into the development of Seaview, right below Waipio, below, you know, Seaview, Crestview. That's right.
0: That's right. Right. Not too far from where I live. Okay. Waipahu. But you didn't go to Waipahu.
2: Mm-mm.
0: Yeah. You guys met very young. Blind
2: date. <laughs> who was blind?
0: blind yeah yeah, we were, we were both so, blind so <laughs> uh you didn't go to waipahu though neil
1: no i made the escape and uh no offense got to uh got to st louis okay and uh spent four years there
0: you know and, and i knew of neil uh, obviously as well as vernon you're a great aunt. i knew because you guys were just formidable to play against farrington st louis epic battles um we got some of your career here. Some pictures of a younger Neil and a good-looking guy. Let's With let's hair. take a look at here. Uh, maybe you can. Okay, that's you. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, he's a looker, man. Okay. Uh, I'm going to brag on Neil because I knew of his career. Five nine, hundred seventy-five pounds. He played center for the St. Louis Crusaders, and he snapped the ball to a name that's very, very famous today. His name is Vincent Passus. Vinny Passus, who is the quarterback whisperer who shaped Marcus Mariota and Tua Tango Vailoa, among Timmy Chang, among, actually, many, many others. Um, But you were the smartest guy on the team because the center (laughs) is the smartest. Quarterbacks think they're the smartest guy on the team. They,
1: They get all the glory, though.
0: Yeah, they get all the glory, but actually... You provide all the brains. But this wasn't your best sport. We got another shot, okay? I remember you were a formidable athlete, but your best sport was baseball. You were recruited collegiately. Um, Obviously, you had the makings of maybe going pro, but there was another calling, ultimately, in the plan of God, and it was to the police department and and the uh, law enforcement area. This is a young Euro you got that look going on. You were about how old here? About twenty-five, I think. Twenty-five years of age. Okay. So, and then of course that parlayed itself into the the business you you've been running, and you're actually. A PI, private investigator, took all of your You are a Magnum PI.
1: Yeah, the real one.
0: The real one. Yeah, because Magnum is not PI.
2: It's called Monong (laughs) PI.
0: Okay.
1: I I had the mustache and all, right? (laughs) Tom Selleck look. Okay.
0: (laughs) I know your background. Tough guy. Oh, by the way, tough guy. All the way... Till the injury or the complication, uh, I know that you were a power lifter and a bodybuilder. In fact, as I got to know you years ago, back in 2000s, this was you. Actually, you were already old, yes. looking like that.
1: That was just uh, prior to surgery, a few uh...
2: five years ago.
0: Wow! I have always tried to look like that. Nothing worked. <laughs> um, so, this picture is. Officer Euro. This is Officer Euro. If you hear the Euro name, this is the image that comes up to most local people. So here's the contradiction. How did you come to the humble place of putting your faith in Jesus Christ, making him your Lord and Savior, and following him, believing in him? Because most tough guys. That's not the move they make. What turned you? What pulled you into that walk with Christ? Neil,
1: talk to us. Well, as you know, the um, police department has that image. Macho guy uh, you know, and, and masculinity and, and a lot of pride. And what had happened is there was no major event in my life or any kind of tragedy that brought me to know Jesus Christ. But well, what it was is my help meet here at the time. She was she came up to me and told me, you know, for the last two weeks I've been thinking about God. And she hadn't had any background as far as yeah. uh religion or anything. So excuse me. So then I told her, you know what, I'm I'm feeling the same. And what I think was happening as she explained to me was the Lord was He was wooing us, you know, unbeknownst to us. He was wooing us. And it was a matter of maturity for me. Uh, We were a young couple. We had two children at the time. We lived in Mililani. And it was about that time for me to step up to the plate and take my place and my role in this family as a father, as a husband. So uh, it was a, a time in my life where, I had to just grow up, and and there was more to it than just being a cop. I knew there was more to it, so I was seeking that, trying to fill that void. And
0: that would come into heavy, heavy play Uh, one particular day where you were asked to intervene off of your beat. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, usually I I worked in the Mililani area, but for some reason I reported to work... uh, well, let, let me backtrack with the, uh, uh, the guest speaker. I was at my former church and sitting in the back like a good local guy kicking back there and just chilling out. <laughs> we happened to have a guest speaker from Australia. And he pointed me out in the back for some reason. I said, oh, my goodness, what did I do and how did he find out? Right. So he tells me, I have a scripture for you. I have a word for you. And what he quoted was Psalm 34, 7. Uh, which says, the Lord, uh, the angel of the Lord encampeth around those who fear him, and he will deliver them. So I took this, I put it on the back burner, and went on. I thought that I'd pray about it later and see if it would come to pass, whatever it was. I spoke to him afterwards and I asked him, because um, I, I have a fascination with angels. I said, is this a guardian angel? He says, No. This is just an angel specifically for you. So now we fast forward. I go to work one day. I was on the graveyard shift, 11 to 7 um, at night. And we did our normal thing. May would pray over me. I'd leave for work. So I get into work, and um, lo and behold, I'm assigned to Wahiwa area, which was not normal for me. As I'm heading out on the road, the first call I get that night was, Head out to this address in Waikiki. It was close to the Waikiki i am sorry, Waiwa General Hospital, and it, uh, there's a uh, area in there, kind of low-income area. So they send me there, and there's a juvenile male wielding a shotgun, and I go, "Oh, here we go, one of those crazy Saturday nights." Mm. So I reach there, I head over there, and it's a—it's like a cul-de-sac area, one way in, one way out. As I'm driving in, I reach the parking lot and here comes that kid with a shotgun and he's walking straight towards me. And I put my car in reverse, back up, jump out of my car, and I'm between the, the car and the door now. And he's at the hood of my car with a shotgun. And what he was doing was bringing it up and down like this. And if you know anything about police procedure... I was supposed to basically shoot this guy. It was a justifiable shoot. Mm -hmm. So I had my weapon right on him, pointed right at his head. And he kept doing that. And I kept, and I started talking to him. I said, hey, put the gun down. Let's talk. You know, we can talk about this. He said, he had uh, said that, oh, are you going to, you know, beat me up like those other cops? And, you know, he was swearing at me and so forth. I said, no, let's talk. Let's talk. So in the meantime, my partners had been, had driven up to uh, provide backup. And they were saying, all of them were yelling, shoot, shoot this guy, shoot this guy. But I was there, and I was looking at him, and I said, if I shoot this guy, where is he going to go? Is he doomed to hell? I don't know his background. For me, if he shot me, I got killed, I'll be in heaven. Yeah, that's where I'd be spending eternity so while I was there we're going back and forth with this all of a sudden this heavenly being comes floating down, it was huge giant, came floating down right in front of me that was the angel that that uh, guest speaker was talking about at that point in time I felt the peace peace come over me and I just thought okay I'm not going to shoot this guy, you know, started praying. He backs off and starts walking in, walking back into the complex. And he ends up in, excuse me, he ends up in the courtyard area. And now he has a shotgun up to his neck here. So I'm still talking with him and we're trying to maneuver around. It's chaotic at this time and we're trying to get people out of harm's way. We're trying to uh protect ourselves as well and I keep this conversation going with him. Right next to where I was trying to uh position myself, this building, there's an open window. The jealousies were open and there was a lady in there and I said, What's up with this guy? You know. And she said, That's my grandson. He just got off the phone, he got into an argument with his girlfriend. He went into the room and got a shotgun, loaded it up, and he came, he went out. So I asked, can you come out and try to talk this guy down? And she just shut the jealousies on me, and that was that. So as we're going through this whole ordeal, this um, the guy has a shotgun up to his neck, and his girlfriend comes pulling up. She lived elsewhere came pulling up, she got out of the car, and she just gave the most blood-curdling scream you could ever hear. And I guess what happened was that startled him. And in that moment, he pulled the trigger. And so if you ever watch movies, you know how everything goes slow motion? That's exactly what happened to me. I'm watching this thing happen. This puff of smoke goes up. His head goes goes back like that. And I'm thinking, his head is gone. And so he comes back up. His his head is still there. There's a gigantic wound on the side of his neck here. And I just run straight towards him. All of our um, police officers converged to where he was on the ground. I started laying hands on him and just praying in tongues. There was no time to be shame or embarrassed. I was going to pray for this guy. So I'm praying. I'm praying out loud. And my beat partner somehow got a full-size bath towel. And he actually shoved that thing into the wound. That whole thing took it. And he was there, and paramedics came. And they were going to medevac this kid because of the seriousness of his injuries. So as they're leaving, I'm asking the paramedic, "Uh, what's up with this guy? You going to make it? They said, no way. The injuries were too serious. There's no way he's going to make it. So I said, okay, thank you. Thank you guys for coming down. And they went off in the medevac. In the meantime, we head back to the station to do the paperwork. And while I'm in there doing my paperwork, doing my typing, uh, somebody calls from the back room. Hey, Yoro, your victim. And I said, yeah. Is he um, classified D, which is dead? He says, no, he made it. At that point in time, I just stopped, and I started weeping in the in the squad room. It was a miracle that he he made it through, so fast forward a bit, I'm heading to um Wahiwan Hospital again to do a case. I was taking care of another case, and there was the um security guard in the front, and as I'm walking in, he takes a look at me we say hello and uh, he looks at my name tag and he goes Yoro he said you remember so and so and I said yeah I remember that case he said that's my stepson so I said wow I said how is he doing and he said he's doing fine in fact he's um, leading a youth ministry now it was
2: the Waiwa Assembly of God
1: Waiwa Assembly of God he was leading a youth ministry. Again, cry baby as I was. I started big, big bad, uh, you know, macho guy. I, I started crying right there. So now I know why the Lord had used me in that situation. And it literally changed my life. Yeah. I praise I, God. You know, praise that, God. That,
0: that's a riveting thought. You said, if I shoot him. Amen. Amen. If I shoot him. I don't know where his eternity will be spent. And that perspective in a moment of incredible pressure, the Lord had prepared you for that. And who knows how many lives he has changed or saved in return. I never thought of that. Yeah. Pain and suffering, unfortunately, trouble, as Jesus says in John 14, is a part of this life. And obviously, I mean, even your mother uh, talk about your mother, I mean you know you got i I want to throw that in there because I just found that out it's a crazy like,
1: family here sorry, yeah,
2: sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we as as dysfunctional as can be until Jesus came into our lives. Yeah. <laughs> then he redeemed everything um, My parents um didn't know Jesus um obviously, and my mother was living um with her boyfriend mm-hmm. and um in a drunken state, um, she stabbed him, and he ended up spending five months in the ICU. Which is why
0: you married a cop.
2: Yeah, and then one month on the floor, all to say that during that time, our church, we were interceding, here's, you know, two individuals. uh, He ended up coding and coming back to life and whatnot. My mother was facing life in prison with the possibility of parole. And um, he actually should have been dead. And one day, out of the blue, the Lord just spoke to me, and he said, mercy triumphs over judgment. Wow. You know, we, des- we deserve judgment, but when you give your life to Jesus or you have people interceding on your behalf, unknowingly, his mercy is extended to you.
0: You needed the mercy. Well, obviously, your life's 43 years married. Wonderful family. Kids love Jesus. Wow in this generation, to raise that's amazing, the grace of God. But you needed some mercy because there was some debilitation with your back that parlayed into an operation that encountered unexpected complications. And the Lord has had to reveal himself to you in a deeper way. Talk to us about that, uh, Neil.
1: Well, this, another part of my journey with the Lord, uh, what had happened was because of all my heavy lifting, during uh, power lifting, and my back became, de- uh, my spine, I'm sorry, was compressed, which caused a bulging disc, and it was uh, affecting my nerves in my legs. So we finally decided five years ago to get surgery, have surgery done. What they did is they decompressed my back, Uh, But there were some complications when I came out of surgery. I was in extreme pain, pain that you couldn't even imagine. I mean, scale of 1 to 10, it was like a 15. And uh, besides that, I could not feel my lower extremities. So what was happening is I had developed what they call an epidural hematoma. And that's basically simply uh, bleeding, pooling of the blood and it was resting on my spine and my nerves, which was causing the pain. The longer it stayed there, the more damage it was doing. So they got me back into my second surgery uh the next morning, but damage had already been done. So what had happened is I uh, developed uh permanent nerve damage in my legs. The doctors had told me that There was a good chance I would never walk again. I'd be in a wheelchair. But like I told Pastor Norman, you tell a Waipahu guy that, ex-cop and St. Louis Crusader, that's not going to happen. So I told the doctor my words. I uh, distinctly remember was, you know, that's not what my God said. He had different plans for me. So lo and behold, um, I spent time in... Uh, Rehab of the Pacific, great place. I gotta, I gotta give a plug for them because they were fantastic. And from there, I told the staff there that I was going to walk out of this place. And one month later, a little less than a month later, I walked out on a walker, but I walked out of there. Praise God. Yes. And He's yes. not done with me yet. Yeah. He's not done.
0: How did the Lord? His grace, his grace, his strength and unction help you through this journey. And me, I'm going to turn to you. You look at Neil. Most of us who've been aware of Neil's career, his, mm-hmm. you know, Mister Macho Man, was anything but for a little bit. And as the wife, he says, "You're the hero."
2: The funny thing about Neil, and I think a lot of wives can relate to, and Or guys, Um, in Neil's younger years, he was very macho. Like, I mean, he was a loving, the most loving father and the most loving husband. Always hugged us, loved on us. Amazing. But he was very, he's very even keel, right? You don't see a whole lot of emotion. When you see your husband weeping and wailing and struggling with just the ability to do daily things, um, it's a it's a whole shift in life and um, to take over his business and manage grandkids that I used to babysit and no longer do that and just see him at his weakest place was so hard but Jesus was always in the midst of it and he would just give us words of encouragement and um, I'd let him feel sorry for himself sometimes and then I'd say okay tomorrow no feeling sorry we, we got things to do we, we got places to go we need, and then the most important thing, was I said, trials will give you opportunity to become more like him. So what are you going to choose? Yeah. right? This whole life of ours is about becoming more like him. We have to steward our lives well. We steward injuries well. We steward disappointments well. And you can do it because he lives in you.
0: So now you have to experience the presence and power of God walking through pain and suffering, right? And yet, you're still believing for the Lord to work a miracle in this life, knowing you have the assurance of eternal life and being able to run and jump and walk. Uh, At Rehab Hospital of the Pacific, there was a turning point. It had to do with music. Neil, talk to us about that.
1: Yes, well, uh, I was always on the worship team. I played uh, Guitar, ukulele, played bass.
2: Oh, he loves your bass playing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And the Lord had blessed me with that. So one day I was at rehab. I was in the room, in my room, feeling sorry for myself. I was having a bad day. And uh, I heard some music coming from down the hall. And I know it wasn't piped music or CD. It was live music. So I jumped on my... Uh, wheelchair, in my wheelchair, which I wasn't supposed to do without supervision. And I went out and I checked it out. And I saw these two local brothers there playing music James Taylor, CNK, Kalapana. And that just lifted my spirit. At that point in time, I said, I'm going to come here. I'm going to volunteer my service. And I'm going to be in this lunchroom entertaining the patients here, which I did pre COVID. But since then, they have. Uh, Stopped it for obvious reasons. So I'm hoping to get back there, and I tell you, I get more blessed than I than the patients there. It's it's therapeutic for me, but I get I got so much blessings when I do that, and, and it just lifts. To this day, it still lifts my spirit.
0: I think this is fascinating because you went from feeling sorry for yourself, which is normal. I mean, when you've lost you the picture of muscularity, now you can't walk, um, and actually you can't pee. I don't know if I'm supposed to say Too late. That's fine. Too late, okay. Yeah. And he'll talk about the, the ability to pee your In fact, why don't you talk about that now?
1: <laughs> my my shishi story, right? Uh, what it is is um, I also had nerve damage in what they call a sphincter. The sphincter uh, controls the bladder, and I cannot urinate. So I have to uh, self catheterize every day, uh, six to eight times a day. That's not fun, but. There's always a uh, I ended up in a hospital six times after that because of infection.
2: Four sepsis.: Four
1: of which went uh, became sepsis, but that's, uh, that's another thing. I'm claiming healing for that, mm-hmm. even if I have to shishi my pants, you know uh, <laughs> I'd, be, I'd welcome that at this point in time. So
0: anybody, no one would blame you for feeling sorry for yourself and having some grief. that's human. You know, even Jesus wanted to avoid the cross. We forget that, yeah. right? Three times he appealed to the Father, yet he went through the cross. You went through your cross, and you're still walking through it, but with a grace and a dignity now that you didn't have before. Um, so you went... The pivot to me is that you went from feeling sorry for yourself to giving the gift of music and worship at
1: Rehab Hospital of the Pacific. How
0: did you do that? Did you just sing CNK, James Taylor... Uh, you know. Um.
1: Yeah, and then I slide in the worship songs and praise <laughs> music. And so, Mae told me that. Uh, well, I, I was kind of concerned because it's a touchy situation when you go in there. Some, you know, they might they might tell you you can't do that. But she told me, hey, don't worry about it because you you can always just play the instrumental version. You don't need the words, and it still bring the presence of God because His praises in there. Come on now, uh, His presence, yeah. right, in our so praises. Yeah.
0: Parting shot. See, you brought heaven to earth there and uh, used the gift of music uh, to do it. There's so many lessons about how, parting shot, how did this deepen your relationship with the Lord, make that relationship more intimate? You got better, not bitter, and we're still believing. May we'll go to you first as the woman beside the man. Parting shot, you feel the nugget of faith we want to grab onto.
2: I just really believe that we're all here f- with a purpose, and that's to know him and make him known. And even in the most painful of times, he reveals himself. He is close to the brokenhearted. He will be with you. You just have to, I don't know, it's just a full surrender. I i cannot see living this life being partially committed to Jesus. Yeah. If he gave us his all, we must surrender everything. Yeah
1: beautiful yeah and i think for me as she said uh there's one two things that i learned through this whole ordeal is that you need a purpose in life right and secondly you need hope when i had those two things it kept me going of course the obvious reason is our lord and savior you got me through this thing so i would encourage you no matter where you're at I know everyone has struggles. They're going through trials. And when I was in your place and I'd hear a testimony of someone up here, I would tell myself, yeah, but that's not for me. You know, this guy's going through something major and I got all these Manini problems I'm working on. But just remember, the Lord's going to meet you where you're at, no matter what your situation is. And we all need Him. We all have our struggles, so... Praise God. Thank you so much. Yeah. For no, I mean,
0: so golfers in the whole house, I told you I'd mentioned this, and this is something. Uh, he's developed and innovated a way to golf, and he can golf in the 80s. See, some of you with a fully functioning body will never golf in the 80s. And I, I just think that's the Lord. You know, you golf with Jacob. Jacob, his son Jacob, will be with us in the next service. And Jacob tells me, every time I feel sorry for myself as a UH coach under pressure, I just find inspiration in my father. And because we've been walking some together spiritually, he says, I remember there's a heavenly father and there's there's a heavenly home. This life is not all there is there is eternity to come. Thank you for being with us. Um, Right where you're seated, some closing thoughts here. Um, In this text, Jesus says, only through him, only through Jesus, do we have access into eternal life. Because there's a lot of cultural things out there, says, you know, you'll be, when you die, God, you'll be in a better place. Well, Scripture's very clear. The only way you get from this place to heaven is through faith and belief in Jesus Christ. There's no other way. And so, in John chapter 1. The apostle says he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. As A lot of us are running around now not really knowing what, who is the center of Christmas, who is the reason of Christmas. But here's the promise. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right or the power, the authority to become children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man, but of God. To believe in its original language, means a humble, dependent, a clingy type of surrender. It's a lordship thing. It's not just, I believe in the man upstairs. Okay, It's not that kind of passé belief. And unfortunately, sometimes it takes the bridge of trouble to connect us to Jesus, the Son of God. And Christmas is a time that frames all of this. Let me close with this. Jesus is God's gift to us. To believe is our gift back to Him. And I can hear the heartbeat of the Lord say, just like the Yoros have in good times and bad, will you believe? Because that's why He came. With every head bowed and every eye closed, we're going to go to prayer for us here in the auditorium and for you at home watching online. When we believe in Christ, we receive Him through prayer, a prayer of faith and surrender. We don't come to secure our place in eternity through good works. It's through simple, childlike faith. I'm going to pray a prayer. If you're ready to commit your life to Jesus, to believe in Him, because to believe and commit are two uh, congruent concepts in theology then you pray this prayer line by line with me as I pray it out loud. And those here at home and here in the congregation will pray likewise. Lord Jesus, I believe you are God's Son. I believe you died for my sins. I understand I was born a sinner. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Come into my heart. Take over my life. Be my Lord and Savior. I surrender to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. With every head still bowed, just a response. Scripture says, we acknowledge him on earth. He will acknowledge us before the angels in heaven. You pray to receive the Lord. Just lift your hand up. Just leave it up there for a couple seconds here in the auditorium at home where you are knowing the Lord is our witness. Welcome to the family of God. This is your first step. And the leader of our service will come up next and talk to us about our next step in the ultimate journey from this life into eternity. The Father... Let your presence fall right now. The manifest presence of God out of your word and in worship. Let healing permeate throughout this auditorium. In fact, we do pray for Neil today. Would you stretch forth your hands? This man has nothing, had been nothing but faith. And you said to ask, seek and knock, to pray and to pray again. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. His man knows you, therefore, by the blood of Christ, he is righteous. And we lay claim for your promise that, Lord, in this life... And not only in the next, we will find the regeneration of the nerves and everything around it, in his spine, in his neurological system, down through his central nervous system. Let the nerves fire up in the name of Jesus. We pray for your presence, the presence of heaven, the presence that we experience through worship, would just jolt him in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Regeneration, recreation, a miracle. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray those who are suffering here, not only physically, but mentally, emotionally, perhaps relationally. You are the God of all healing. We pray that you would breathe your sovereign manifest presence throughout the congregation here in rooms at home. Lord, let there be an explosion of your presence in this Christmas season. Give us a touch of eternal life and heaven on earth. In Christ's name. Amen.